This is Unstoppable with Zen Honeycut, episode 76. The CDC decides who gets the COVID vaccine first. Well, folks, thank you for tuning in. I know it has been quite some time. We finally got, after 54 days, we finally got our belongings, our furniture and things like that, and took quite a bit of time to unpack. And we are settling in in our new life where we have land to grow food, we have our own well water, and we're very excited about the future that we're creating. So thank you for having uh, some patience with me not doing a podcast for a bit of time here. Uh, However, I'm back and reporting on the CDC's Advisory Committee Immunization Practices meeting that was held on Tuesday, December 1st, to vote on Phase 1A of the COVID vaccine rollout. And this meeting was live streamed, able to be viewed by the public. I watched the presentation for nearly four hours and witnessed the process in which crucial decisions like this are made. Uh, in order to relay this information to our Moms Across America supporters. And the reason why I'm doing this is because our moms are very aware and very interested in the topics of vaccines, primarily because many of us have children who are vaccine damaged, and we want to prevent further damage to others. We know firsthand how intense the struggle from the multitude of side effects can be, for not only our children, but also our elderly parents, and I personally know this, and how devastating the loss of mobility or speech is, how tragic it is to have our children's potential for the future robbed from them, and we're very concerned about the first group of people to get this rushed and risky vaccine, uh, especially our essential healthcare workers who are on the front line of um, you know, keeping us healthy and our beloved and most vulnerable parents, grandparents, and family members. We are very concerned about them. Uh, I know a a lot of people think, oh, you know, the elderly people, they're old and maybe their time has come or something is going to have them, you know, cause them to die anyway. I know some people can be quite callous about the, you know, about elderly people and really just sort of set them aside and and say, well, you know, their time has probably come anyway. Um, But if it's your father or your mother or your grandmother, I assure you, you think very differently. You want to have every single day with them that you possibly can. You want to, you know, remember things with them. You want to hold their hand. You want to be with them, even if they have Alzheimer's or dementia you do not want them to just pass away because of some COVID, you know, um, virus or pneumonia or the flu or some flu shot. They are sacred and special and precious to us. And they have so much to offer us. If you just listen to them and ask them questions about their lives and the history that they've lived through and what they were taught, uh, they have so much to offer us. So of course we're very concerned about about them. So this meeting was a, a um, meeting of the minds of the people who control the immunization schedule of the United States. 
uh, which is 30, 350 million people, right? Doctors, scientists, heads of departments such as the CDC, the um, I believe the FDA, NIH, HHS, you know, Health and Human Services, and many other immuniz- immunization management groups were present. And the context was set very early on, folks. They said every minute a person in the United States is dying from COVID. And as we have this meeting, at least 180 people will die. So the goal on the agenda, which I'm going to open up here, was to vote specifically on whether the um, healthcare workers at long-term care facilities and the residents of these long-term care facilities should be the first to be offered the COVID vaccine after it was approved, of course, by the CDC and the ACIP, which is the, uh, again, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. So, uh, and they have three phases of phase one. Phase 1A would be healthcare personnel and the long-term care facility residents. Phase 1B would be essential workers. And the the examples are education sector, meaning teachers, food and agriculture, farmers, right? And the the workers in the meat processing plants, utilities, uh, people who work on water and, you know, cable and things like that, that kind of like have to come into your home, police, firefighters, correctional officers. So that's prisoners uh, in the prison facilities, although they don't say prisoners, they say correctional officers and transportation like bus drivers and, um, you know, subway drivers, people like that. And phase one C would be adults with high risk medical conditions, adults 65 and older. So this, the thing is, if you look at the chart, which is on our moms across America, uh, blog page, the people in phase one C are actually included in phase one a these long-term care facility residents are adults with high, mostly high risk medical conditions and they're 65 and older. So they're sort of jumping the gun by putting, you know, that category of people into phase one a, especially when that category of people has not been included in the trials, right? This is, this is the most important factor to understand. Elderly people were not included in the trials, elderly people with diabetes or dementia or, autoimmune issues or uh, cancer or whatever it is that they have that has them be in a long-term care facility in the first place, that category of people was not included in the trials and therefore makes this decision, which I will get to by the uh, CDC ACIP uh, committee, uh, extremely controversial and dangerous. All right. So but get back to the beginning of the meeting, right from the get-go, the question was asked by one of the people attending this meeting, uh, one of the peers, if, if the CDC had any information on the efficacy of the vaccine. And the response from Dr. Kathleen Dooling from the CDC was, we do not have data on the efficacy at this time. That is something we will address in stage three. So folks, <laughs> that's after healthcare personnel your grandmas and your grandpas, your the firefighters, correctional officers, policemen, teachers, and all the adults with high-risk medical conditions over 65 and older have been vaccinated. After they vaccinate everybody, after phase one, after phase two, I'm not sure who's in phase two yet, after, you know, or during or after phase three, they will have the data then on whether or not this vaccine is effective. 
this is ridiculous. You know, and what this means is that everybody in stage one, two, and possibly stage three as well is part of a giant experiment. And no one on the panel seemed to be bothered by this information at all. This seems to be the way the process goes. So during the meeting, presentations were given on how they proposed the vaccine to be administered, you know, what steps they would take, and um, also on the VARS vaccine adverse events reporting system, which is not what they called it, but that they referred to um, it just as VARS. And, and I'll get to that, what they said about that. But first of all, one of the presentations, they talked about how they would administer it. And although one person said that they could go in and vaccinate everybody in, you know, a large uh, senior facility, you know, long-term care facility in a matter of three days, right? They could vaccinate all of the healthcare workers and then all of the residents. It could be done quite quickly and efficiently. Well, somebody else said, actually, due due to the reactogenicity, the widespread, right, the, the possible widespread reactogenicity, meaning the side effects, that it should be managed that the healthcare workers would get their vaccines staggered, meaning not everybody at once, you know, only some, you know, a couple on the night shift and a couple on the day shift, you know, separate them out and get them uh, at different times. Now, keep in mind that the reactogenicity, which the definition means uh, expected side effects, such as uh, pain at the site of injection and fever, maybe flu-like symptoms, you know, basically they they basically get go COVID for a day or two. And um, that that reactogenicity that they're talking about is just the fever and flu-like symptoms. They're not talking about damage, uh, vaccine damage like paralysis, transverse myelitis, or possible death, which has been reported from the trials. They're completely ignoring all of that, right? So but one CDC member did say, if we have a mass vaccination of EMT workers, for instance, we could have a shortage of EMT workers the next day. So they're they're acknowledging that this vaccine is probably going to make people sick and put them out of work for a day or two. And it was suggested, therefore, that rather than going into a long-term care facility and vaccinating everyone at once, um, as I mentioned earlier, that instead they should stagger them. In addition, the resident, the um, these healthcare workers should get the vaccine the day before their day off so that they can be sick on their own time rather than right uh, having a sick day and, and being out of work and disturb the schedule. There was no mention of staggering the, the vaccines for the residents. So that would be, their plan would be to go in and just vaccinate all the residents all at once. Um, not sure how, how uh, manageable it would be to have all of the residents sick at once. But they're, they apparently did, you know, they did not discuss that. So two or three people present in the meeting, uh, specifically Dr. Talbot, expressed grave concern regarding the residents, usually the vulnerable and uh, frail elderly people, right, getting the vaccine because their population group was not included in the trial. Another uh, person, a gentleman, I, I didn't get his name, suggested that perhaps just the healthcare workers, the healthcare workers get the vaccine initially and not the residents. And his reasoning was very reasonable. It was that, you know, since the visitors who might expose the residents to the virus have already been restricted, right? They, they have not seen their loved ones for like nine months. So it's, it's really inhumane that they have not been able to have uh, contact with their loved ones for that long. 
however, since they've already been restricted, then the healthcare staff workers would be the only avenue for transmission, right? So vaccinating them should be sufficient in preventing the transmission if, of course, the vaccine worked. But no one agreed to this and no changes to the proposed policy were made. Another countered that idea and said it would be more efficient and more equitable to include the long-term care facility residents in the initial offering, as they have been the most susceptible to death from the virus. So this reasoning, this perspective was that it would be more just and more fair to give the long-term care residents the vaccine first because, um, you know, they have experienced the most uh, loss of life from it, even though it has not been proven safe for them. So the one thing that I was glad to hear was that the vaccine would be made public to those who wish to get it, and the word mandatory was not suggested by the CDC. Now, this does not mean that the private facilities may or may not require the vaccine for employment or residence residency. This is unclear, and it was not discussed. So the residents in the long-term care facility over the age of 16 only, they said, okay, so no children, only the age of over 16 only would also need to sign a consent form, that means give permission, or a family member would need to assent, like either agree to another person's decision and sign the form. So I'm glad they're doing this. However, you know, who knows how lucid a resident is, you know, a a person could just say sign here, you know, how do we know that they're understanding what they're signing? Um, and in most cases, people pointed out that there already is an assent form on file. Most family members, when they, um, when they, uh, you know, check in their loved one to be a resident of a long-term care facility, they sign a form saying, you know, basically you can do um, whatever medical is medically necessary to my loved one in order to keep them safe, and that includes vaccinations. So most of the residents are going to just go ahead and be administered this vaccine. Um, I also saw that if there is, if it is up for discussion, I could see a sister and a brother perhaps, or two sisters, you know, completely disagreeing about whether or not their parents should get this vaccine and how sad it will be if, if this tears family members apart simply because there's misinformation being given to the public. Uh, so I really do urge everybody to keep in mind that if you disagree about this, to remember and to acknowledge that your loved one, even if they disagree with you, is coming from the same place as you. You're both committed that your family member be safe and be healthy and live a long life. And you don't want this loved one to be hurt right? So keep in mind that they're coming from the same place. They just have a different perspective and talking about the facts and the reality of uh, what, what the ingredients are in the vaccine, what the efficacy rates have been, you know, how long it's been tested in a calm and rational voice while acknowledging their commitment to safety is going to be a much more effective way to go about communicating with them right? Not just screaming at them and yelling at them and getting defensive and withholding information and criticizing them, right? That's not going to work. And it could really damage your family uh, for generations to come. And, and I would assert that that loved one in the home, the, you know, facility, whether it be your mother or father or grandparent, the thing that they want most for you, even probably more than their own health, uh, you know, cause 
most people just care so much about their family members is for you to get along, for you to love each other, for you to speak respectfully to each other, for you to enjoy each other's company and to be connected and to know what's going on in your family. I know my mother is most happy when my brother and my sister and I are talking to each other and loving each other and appreciating each other. That's what makes her happiest in the whole world. So please uh, do not allow this issue to tear your family apart. Okay. So that was my little aside on communication and family members. They're the family is the most important thing. So don't let this, this, um, come between you. Okay. Now the issue of what a long-term care facility means was discussed. And in one speaker said that it could include prison facilities where medical care was given. And I'm, I'm thinking, isn't that all of them? And another expressed concern about that. A, a, a CDC member, one that I think was Kathleen Dooling, that was sort of um, not running it, but but reiterating a lot of what was being said, uh, readdressed the definition as a skilled nursing or assisted living facility where residents are unable to care for themselves. Therefore, that seemingly but not unequivocally rules out prison facilities and even homeless shelters. But again, it was unclear. So, and they they sort of left it unclear. Okay, next was the VARS um, at the ad, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System uh, presentation by Dr. Tom Shim, Shim, Shimabukuru. I'm just going to say Dr. Tom, who gave that presentation, but he referred it to it as a post-authorization safety monitoring update or the nation's early warning system for vaccine safety. And this euphemism just... <laughs> It like I was just like shouting at my laptop. What? You know, this system is not about safety. It's about vaccine damage. It's about harm, right? And it really got me upset. Uh, and and when people wonder why so many of us in this health freedom movement are so angry about vaccines, it's because we're angry that the medical industry so often uses euphemisms to mislead the American public, encouraging them to subject their precious children and el elderly parents to risky injections and, and often, you know, like 79 doses or 72 doses that, you know, it's, it's so much and so often that we lose our cool. Now I'm not proud of it. And I would hope that other people would, you know, also not get upset and control ourselves and be professional. Um, but I would, I would ask that the people who know, if you know anybody who is angry like this, um, to have some compa compassion for them and understand that we are, uh, in general, pretty angry about this because we know the system can do better. We know that our doctors can do better, that the uh, medical professionals can do better, the government agencies can do better, and we need them to do better. The safety and the future of our country depends on them doing better. We need them to have integrity and responsibility for what's going on here. And, um, and so that's why we're upset. You know, for instance, Dr. Shimabukuru or Dr. Tom extolled the virtues of the VAR system and claiming it would, it would be updated with signals, meaning the reports of the vaccine damage. He couldn't even say reports, right. Of vaccine injury. Cause that's what it is. It's report. It's a vaccine adverse event reporting system. He could not say those words. He had to use these euphemisms called signals, right? And he would, and he said that the new data would be updated every one to two weeks, which is, in my experience, a total lie, 
right? And that and and um, when people expressed concern over that delay, the one to two week delay, he said it was really only because of the length of a hospital stay. So keep in mind, they're admitting that hospital stays are going to happen, folks, and the you know that usually things aren't reported until the checkout period. So they're expecting that some people could be in a hospital for one to two weeks after getting this vaccine, folks. So I, and, and why I said that it's a lie that it'll be updated every one to two weeks in my experience, I'm not saying in the future that that may not happen, but I personally know a mother who has reported a severe adverse uh, reaction to vaccines, to VARS, to this system, and who repeatedly searched the VARS database for her case, because there's a filing number, right? And whether or not it was received. She checked every couple of months, and then she then she refiled after about a year, and then after repeated filings four years later, there was still no sign of her filing, and she's not the only one. So this system is far from accurate and updated and timely, right? And it's not a good system to depend on to fine tune the safety of this vaccine and uh, to 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 improve it, right? That should be done in the trials. That should be done before it's even administered to anyone. So, uh, you know, I would assert that this vaccine adverse event reporting system is going to be vastly underutilized. Um, in fact, there's already evidence to show that less than 1% actually report vaccine damage uh, and that it will be useless in, in this whole COVID vaccine experiment. So, um, so that was the extent of the presentations, my summary anyway, there, there was more information. I don't know if they're going to have a recording up, uh, but after there were public comments and there was one person who did, you know, ask good questions. She was a nurse veteran. She asked the questions that you or I would, would probably like to have asked. They weren't addressed of course. And then there were four other people who spoke in favor of having, uh, you know, the first group of people be the healthcare workers and the long-term care residents. And the vote went 13 yes and one no. And there were three, or maybe three people that, that did express concern over the healthcare residents. I mean, the long-term facility care residents, you know, the elderly people getting this vaccine, but they sort of talked themselves out of it while they were expressing concern. They were like, yeah, I'm concerned. And then, but you know, okay, basically I, I will support this. It was kind of like they were trying to alleviate themselves of their guilt by expressing the concern, uh, but then went ahead and voted yes anyway. So, um, you should know that if you have a family member or any of your friends has a family member in a long-term care facility, they should be alerted about this because they're first and they are the experiment. Now, what was most disturbing to me was that there was no discussion of alternate groups to receive the vaccine first. They only focused on these groups. There was no rational discussion as to why or except for the fact that they've experienced the most deaths, but there was no discussion about the safety of the vaccine and who perhaps should receive the vaccine first instead of them. Now, what I would suggest is that the CDC and the ACIP members go first and the HHS staff, the health and human services, the FDA, and our, our president or whichever president is, you know, in office at the time or the health department staff or our governors, senators, and representatives. So I would ask them to go first. So uh, if you agree or if you disagree, however you feel, on our website on momsacrossamerica.org, under our blog, you can get the link to comment to the CDC. And the CDC filing number regarding this issue is 2020-0121. 
and you can go to the CDC and file your comments on who you think should be the first in line to get this vaccine. Now, a quick update since I've uh, posted my article about this and since the meeting, uh, I have seen that former presidents Bush, Obama, and Clinton are all going to get this COVID vaccine first and, or not, I don't know first, but they're going to get the COVID vaccine when it's made available. I don't know when. Um, and many are skeptical that will actually be the vaccine, that it might just be a saline placebo, who knows? Um, so, you know, it's hard to know whether or not, uh, when they're going to get it or whether or not they will get it, but they, they have said that they would do that. Now I would like to see, you know, the CEOs of the, of the, of the, um, you know, of the, the manufacturing company, sorry, I would like them to see, I would like to see them actually get this vaccine first and, uh, and see if they will actually vaccinate their children and their elderly family members with the vaccine, um, before expecting other people to get it. So that's my, that's my summary and my take on the ACIP meeting where the CDC decided, who would get the vaccine, COVID vaccine first. And I would uh, urge you to share this information with your loved ones. We have a blog on our website. I did an Instagram post about it and a Facebook live about it. Who knows if those will stay up. Um, there has been a lot of censoring going on and I appreciate you being a part of the movement to share the truth, to share, uh, the empowering information and what you can do about it with your family, friends, and loved ones. It, it does not make any difference for us to just get mad and angry and fearful and uh, stressed out. What does make a difference is if we actually do something about it. So please take action and send your comment to the CDC about who you think should get the COVID vaccine first, um, if at all, and uh, what, what should happen. Okay. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time, everybody. Please share this podcast. This is Zen Honeycut reminding you to be unstoppable.